Good morning and welcome to the orchard. If you are here in the house, we have our first Colorado cold morning. I saw snow on some of the cars from Up Valley. If you're listening or watching in Vanuatu or Pakistan or one of the other places, um, we have some weather here. People are bundled up. It's getting that time of year again. We are glad that you have joined us, whether you are here in the building or with us online live right now. We have been preaching through Genesis, and we have worked our way up to the life of Joseph. If you're just now joining us, um, you have a lot to catch up on, but today's message has plenty for you. It has plenty for each of us. Had something for me today. We looked at Joseph's life in chapter 37 last week. If you remember, he was the favored son. He was so favored, he had a special robe from his daddy, and his 10 older brothers were jealous, couldn't stand it, couldn't stand him. And so what did they do? They stripped Joseph of his robe, and they, to kill him, they throw him down in an empty cistern for holding water where he would die. They then sit down to eat a meal. And while they're sitting there, they're listening to the pleads of Joseph, their little brother. Please don't do this, please. It's at this moment, the Bible tells us, they look up and they see a caravan of traveling traders in the distance, and they, they come up with this plan. You know, let's not kill him. Let's save his life and make some money. That's a good deal. That's a win-win for everybody, right? And so Joseph's brothers, it says in his verse, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Now, I often tell you, if you've joined us for any amount of time, to put yourself in the story. You can read that one or you can read those two sentences and go, oh, I see what happened. But do you know what happened in those two sentences? Imagine you're Joseph and you, you've shown up and, and you have had your brothers grabbing you and they throw you down there and then you hear them up there as they're eating and you're pleading, but then they throw a rope down and your hope rises as you rise out of the pit. But you soon realize as you see what's happening that they're not releasing you, they're, they're still holding you and that they're going to sell you. And you stand there by your brothers and you watch and listen in horror as they barter for how much your life is now worth. Please don't do this, brothers. Please don't do this. Please, I'll do anything. Don't do this. But the deal is soon done and you are passed from your brother's hands to the hands of these traders. This, this is human trafficking. And Joseph watches terrified likely with bitter tears as the caravan, caravan leaves with him in it, now a slave, and he sees his brothers disappearing in the distance and with them the entire life that he had just a day ago, just hours before. Now the journey that he would have been in this caravan from Dothan to Egypt would have been uh, maybe 20 days, depending on how fast they went, and during that time, he would have begun to have adjusted to whatever this new normal was, but still there's the fear, where am I going? What's going to happen? What, what, does a, what does a slave's life look like? Verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites, these traders, they arrive in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar. Potiphar is an official of Pharaoh who was the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. Now, Potiphar is a powerful man. He's trusted by the king, trusted by Pharaoh. He's captain of the Pharaoh's palace guard, the people who guarded Pharaoh. This is a very trusted, very powerful individual. And this is Joseph's new life. He has now been sold. He will now be a slave in whatever capacity Potiphar chooses for him to work in. And, work in. and, and likelihood, Joseph's life is now planned out for him. 
He will do what he's told. He will sleep where he's told. He will do he will do everything. He will have no autonomy, and he will do this until the day that he dies. Now, Joseph had dreams earlier, remember. He had dreams of a life where he would become something, and here he finds himself working in a place far away from the dreams. Have you ever been there? You had dreams when you were younger? Dreams you'd become somebody, be somebody, do something with your life? Maybe you're in Potiphar's house now. Maybe you're working somewhere. You're doing something. You have a job or or life is taking you somewhere that you did not plan it to. You never thought you'd be here. If you've been with with us the last two weeks, you've heard um, as I've opened up to my personal story in Georgia and all that happened to me there and the circumstances surrounding me leaving the ministry. If you want to hear all that stuff, you can go to the previous two weeks. But I left my dream job. I was burned out. I was miserable. I was crushed. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what, I mean, I, I didn't know where to go, where to go work. Where does, a, where does a burned out pastor go to work? Well, I had a hobby of doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And through a friend, I interviewed for a job in a martial arts gym. And I remember during the interview, I sat there with this gentleman. And he goes, uh, what makes you can think you can sell jiu-jitsu? So, well, I've been selling an invisible man for 15 years. I can sell jiu-jitsu. That shows you where my heart was at the time. That shows you where I was. So I got a job working at a place, and a job I didn't really know, a job I didn't really know if I wanted, managing these combat gyms. And, and honestly, like Joseph, all I wanted was my old life back. I wanted to go back in time where I had the success, and I had the, all, all that I wanted, and I wore that, that robe of favor. But I didn't wear a robe anymore. What I wore was called a gi. It's a, it's a Japanese combat kimono. I wore pajamas to work every day. I was barefoot, and I wore pajamas. I remember one day there at this gym, um, I was there before all the classes, and I was mopping the mats. I mean, this is high-profile stuff, you know? I'm there mopping the entire mats of this martial arts gym, just mindlessly doing it, when all of a sudden, I freeze as something hits me. I realize that a year previous... On this day, at this very moment, I had been on stage in front of thousands with big lights looking out at a lot of people. And there I am mopping a mat, and I look up. In the martial arts gym, they have mirrors on an entire wall. And I look up, and guess who's the only person looking back at me? Guess who my audience is now a year to the day to the moment later? Me, in my pajamas, holding a mop. Now, in that moment, I felt like Joseph working in Potiphar's house. I felt, I, I felt deeply in that moment, working a job that was so far from the dreams I had had. I, I never dreamed in my life that I, someday I will grow up and mop the mats and wear pajamas. But here I was. I was far from my dreams. How often must Joseph had had the same thing happened to him as he was doing some menial task. And he would remember his, his, his father's favor, his mother's love, he, his special robe as he wore slaves' garments now. He would remember his bed, his home. He'd remember those dreams he had that were far from him as he was now in this new place. And in the midst of all this, we see one sentence that continually crops up in Joseph's life. I talked about it last week as well. It's right here in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, 
And he succeed, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. God was with Joseph. Joseph may have felt like he was way off of God's plan, but God was right there with him. And today you may feel a bit like Joseph. I am so far off the plan that God had for my life, but you need to know no matter where you are, God is with you. Just as with Joseph, God is with you wherever you find yourself hearing this today. God was with Joseph. We, we learned that Joseph can, can read and write, obviously, because he was chosen to serve in the house instead of the field. And it says God was with him, and everything he did was a success. Now, when you're a slave, a servant, an employee, and everything you do is successful, guess who takes notice? The boss, the master. Verse 3, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph giving him success in everything he did. Potiphar recognized that Joseph wasn't just being a hard worker. As he discerned the situation, he saw that this new slave he had, this foreigner, it wasn't just his hard work, there was more to it. And the word here for God is God's covenant name, Yahweh, who's blessing Joseph. Potiphar somehow knows that it's God behind Joseph that's giving him success. Now, how do you think it is that Potiphar would know why Joseph is so successful? He's an Egyptian official, powerful. But it says he recognizes that Yahweh was with Joseph, giving him success. How would he recognize that? Now, there's much discussion in this. But the overall thought is that Potiphar knew that God was with Joseph and making him successful was because Joseph told him. Potiphar could say, Joseph, how is it you? How is it You, uh, this foreign slave, you come to my house and everything you do, all the issues we had earlier before you got here have been smoothed out and everything you do is is successful. How is it? Master, it's because my God, he is with me and he blesses me. There are even some theologians who go so far to believe, based on contextual clues here and later on, that that through Joseph's lifestyle and evangelism and honesty with Potiphar, Potiphar comes to faith in God. We don't know. But I want to pause for a moment and talk to those of you who work for somebody or along with somebody. You have a boss. You have coworkers. It could be a job you like, love. It could be a job that you loathe a job that you don't know why you're in it and you have plans to get out of it as soon as possible. I want to elevate Joseph here because I believe he can be an example to all of us in how we operate in our place of employment. You see, Joseph didn't choose his job. He was forced into labor. And what did he do with the place that he was to work? He worked hard. He worked with character. And when asked, he, he talked about his faith. Colossians 3.23 says, work willingly at whatever you do. Whatever you do, wherever you're working, work willing whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. What if you worked for God instead of your boss? How would that change your attitude? How would that change your excellence? Joseph embodies this New Testament verse and when asked about his success and his attitude, he talks about his faith. He talks about it to such an extent that that this Egyptian master knows this Hebrew God. 
Joseph, through his character and faith, you know what he's doing? He's discipling Potiphar. We are reminded, and this reminds me, that, that our divine purpose here on earth is not to produce money. Our divine purpose here on earth is to produce disciples. That we would live in such a way for Jesus, loving God and loving people and illuminating him that other people choose to follow him. That's what we're to do. And that's what Joseph is doing here with his master. Your purpose on this planet is to be an agent of redemption and love for God. And you can do that as a plumber, as a businesswoman, as a mom or a dad, a student, a server, a builder, a teacher, whatever it is you are, jobless, homeless, it doesn't matter. You can, do, you, you can fall into line with your divine purpose no matter what you do for a job. We get concerned about getting the right job that we forget we're on this planet to find people who are far from God. We get so caught up in our career, we forget our calling we get so caught up in the rat race that we lose sight that we're on this planet to reveal saving grace. We get so caught up in our employment when what matters most is our deployment. You've been deployed at this time in that job for those people to reveal God. Wherever you are deployed, like Joseph, work hard for God, not people. Know that God is with you and illuminate Jesus at every turn in your place of work. And when asked about your, your, your attitude or, or your success or, or, or your character, like Joseph, open up and talk about your faith. Joseph's success and character rises to the top here and it gives us something to look at. Never forget this. You are not employed. You are deployed. God has placed you somewhere. And like Joseph, through character, integrity, and love and hard work to show and reveal Jesus Christ. Verse four. All the success, this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly. Also, the crops of the field and the livestock flourished. Every venture this man had flourished and blessed because of Joseph. Can you imagine? Uh, you, you go in your place of work and you know that you have the mindset that God is with me and I'm going to work hard and I'm going I'm to have a character and I'm going to illuminate God. And, and, and in that, your employer is blessed and successful. Can you imagine that? Potiphar is blessed simply because of God's favor on Joseph. And in verse 6, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned with Joseph. There was, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. I mean, Potiphar has hit the jackpot. He went and bought this slave, not knowing much about him. He used to live like a prince in Egypt, but now because of Joseph, he's living like a king the household is running so smoothly. Places like this, this field and this crop and these livestock and, and these issues, those things uh, because of Joseph, Joseph's competency and his character and God's blessing upon him, there's success. And the only decision 
that Potiphar makes every night is, do I want the salmon or the steak? Life is good for Potiphar because of the character and the competency and, and the faith of Joseph and God blessing him. Back to verse six. This is, kind of seems like a curveball. Joseph was very handsome and well-built young man. I just associate so much with Joseph at every turn in this story. It's just a... <laughs> Now, this might seem out of place, but this little tidbit is the setup. It's the pitch for what we're going to see next, for the next drama. Because it says this, Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come sleep with me, she demanded. she's She's a woman of finesse, obviously, you know. Up until this moment, Joseph was making the best of a terrible situation. I mean, he's been sold as a slave. He's raised to the highest status in the household other than the master. The master's put everything under his care. Everything he does succeeds. And Joseph has resisted temptation after temptation after temptation. Let's look at these temptations. The first one Joseph, I assume, would have had is one that we have. To give up his faith in a God who let him go to the pit and a God who let him be sold into slavery. He would have been tempted to give up on his faith. And you might be on the edge of this decision as well. Or you might be listening and you've already jumped off this cliff. The the, the life has gone too bad for you to believe in that God. How can a good God let bad things happen? Joseph dealt with this, I'm sure. Imagine being a a teenager in a wealthy family where you lacked nothing and violently taken from your family, human trafficked, chained, terrified, sold as a slave in a country far away. Your life is gone. Circumstances has closed the door on everything you loved and everybody who loved you. Joseph could have pushed the ejection button at any moment on his faith. At any of those turns, he could have left the faith and and simply done what is most easy. And that is just start worshiping the gods of the culture around him. I mean, the Egyptians had gods. Let's go with them. Or you know what else? It's so easy. It, when God, you feel like God, God's let me down, is to get your cafeteria bowl and go down the line and, and get, just start mixing up what you like. You know what? This faith in God thing didn't work out, so I'm going to mix up a little, a little spirituality that, I, that makes me feel good in my bad circumstances. But Joseph didn't do that. Even in his despair, his faith held. He did not give in to the temptation to lose faith. Joseph also resisted the temptation to cut corners in business with Potiphar. I mean, we got to be honest. He could have taken Potiphar to the cleaners. Potiphar didn't know anything about anything other than what he was eating at the moment. He, he could have cut corners. He could have fudged the books and numbers and squirreled away money. He could have put enough money away for himself and someday bought his freedom. Leave the country. But Joseph didn't. Even when life gave him chaos, his character held. He did not give in to the temptation to cut corners in business. And now he's faced with another temptation. A woman comes to him and demands that that he lie with her. This is Potiphar's wife, and she has power and influence, the master's wife. Joseph is facing a temptation that is common to all humanity, sexual temptation. Now, let's be honest. He's a teenager far from home. You, 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 you take somebody and you take them far from home and far from the accountability and watch what happens. This is just some teenage kid. I mean, why not find some fun now that life has gone so sideways? 
You know, I haven't gotten my way in a long time. I kind of deserve this. He could very easily have indulged his flesh here and, and who would blame him? The next verse says, but Joseph refused. Facing this new temptation, which would have been easy to give in to, he refuses. And he begins to tell her why. He says, look, my master trusts me with everything in the household. And who else is in the household? The wife. My master trusts me with you. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except for you because you're his wife. I can do all things, he's saying. I can do anything. He's held back nothing except one thing. Now, this is a repeated pattern for Genesis if you have eyes to see. When else in Genesis did we see people given authority by a master over everything except for one thing? It's the same test that they had in the Garden of Eden. Given dominion over the garden, but do not partake of the tree. Joseph is facing the test that Adam and Eve faced. And Adam and Eve should have said what Joseph said. They should have said, my Lord has trusted us with everything in the garden. No one has more authority here than we do. He's held nothing back from us except for the tree. In the worst of conditions, Joseph is passing the test that Adam and Eve failed in the greatest of conditions. Joseph continues to tell her, he goes, he's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against Potiphar. Notice he didn't say Potiphar, did he? He said it'd be a great sin against God. And this language here matters. It reveals his allegiance. It reveals his character. It reveals his faith. He doesn't say, oh, I couldn't do that to good old Potiphar. I couldn't do that to my boss. He's been so good to me. He didn't do the right thing because it's the right thing for Potiphar. He reveals, Joseph reveals that his truest strength, his roots are deeply down in, his truest character strength is, is not just in doing the right thing for, for people, but it's because his love of God. How could I sin against my God? Think of it, the God who allowed him to go to the pit. The God who allowed him to be trafficked. The God who allowed him to be brought and bought to Potiphar. It's the God who Joseph refuses to lose faith in, no matter what life throws at him. How could I sin against my God? Given in, given in to this temptation when everything had gone wrong would have been so easy. It's true, we are often weakest to temptation when life isn't going our way. Have you noticed that? I'm not getting my way right now. So I am very vulnerable to temptation. When you are low, your resolve is low. When, when I'm the most down, that's when I'm looking for the easiest escape. When life is hard and painful, that's when we begin to look for little fixes of pleasure. You see, we do things in the dark nights of the soul that we don't do in the light of peace. But Joseph shows us something very true in life right here. Joseph's faith and character remain intact even though everyone and everything around him has crumbled. And it's important because just because things around you may have crumbled, it doesn't mean your character has to. During Joseph's time in Potiphar's house, he quickly was finding that the rules of this house are much different than the rules of his old house. 
And when I was working in this martial arts industry, I quickly learned that the culture and behavior of this martial arts world was far different than the culture and behavior of the church staff world that I had been in for 15 years. And I began to see that there was really no accountability for my character in this job as long as I performed the way I needed to. This led to an entirely new set of opportunities and temptations. My coworkers at the time were black belts and cage fighters. I made some lifelong friends, and I can't wait. There's, there's, there's some you're going to meet when they come out here. But for a lot of these guys, these were salty cage fighters. They earned money with their fists. And there's a lifestyle and a mentality that often, not always, comes with that. They had a different idea of, of fun than my previous church coworkers. It's hard to believe. They, they knew I'd been a pastor. They, they'd known some of my stories. I opened up and we began to share and become friends. And they'd listen to me and, and they want to help me. They want to help me. And they'd say, man, let, let us take you out tonight. Let's go to some strip clubs. You need to have some fun, man. You've got to move past this whole church thing. You deserve this. After all that you've been done, man, you deserve this. Come hang out with us. They believed I should go out and sow my oats because I had been wronged. This was repeated often. The invitations were often given. I said no. I made excuses. And finally, in conversation, some of them said, I remember saying this. I said, listen, guys, just because someone else's character in my life caved doesn't mean that mine has to. Just because somebody else in my life had given in temptation doesn't mean I need to. And in that moment when I said that, I knew it was for me, not them. And it may be for you today. Your character doesn't have to cave because life is caved in around you. Your character doesn't have to cave because someone else's did and hurt you. Your faith doesn't have to crumble because life fell apart around you. When life goes wrong, when people hurt us, we can still choose. We still have a choice to choose what is right and virtuous and worthy and godly out of our love for him. Like Joseph, you can live a life with faith and character in the face of circumstantial disaster and other people's character crumbling around you. Verse 10, Potiphar's wife kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. This is temptation. The, relent, the, the, it, the pressure is relentless. When it comes to temptation, it continues. He refused and he held strong, but he does something else. He, he uses some wisdom here. If you know there's a place of temptation in your life, avoid it. If it's a person, avoid them as much as possible, like Joseph. If it's a place, avoid it as much as possible. Temptation is not something to flirt with. Verse 11, one day, however, no one else was around. She had this planned, I think, when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, his robe, his garment, demanding, come on, sleep with me. What Joseph does here is what many of us should do in the face of temptation. He tore himself away. His cloak was taken from him in her hand as he ran from the house. You see, Joseph doesn't hang around this temptation here. He fights when needed and when necessary, 
he flees. Now, I want to pause the Joseph account here. We're going to pick it up next week. I want to pause Joseph here with the picture of him fleeing with another robe taken from him. That's the picture we see. I want to pause here and talk about temptation and how Joseph dealt with it and how maybe we can deal with it. And the first step when it comes to temptation is to look at your life honestly and take an honest assessment and say, where am I currently already caving to temptation? And make a decision, the first decision, resist it. So first, when it comes to, to temptation, the first thing is resist it. There's likely areas where you're not fighting for your purity. It's time to resist. Join the resistance. But, but listen, not just with your willpower. I'm not saying like just white knuckle it. I'm never going to do that again. How's that ever worked out for you? Ever. Not with willpower, but with God's power. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the evil one, and he will flee. The next verse says, come near to God. This, this resistance is sandwiched between submitting to God and coming near to God. And that, that is how we begin our resistance with, with submitting and coming near because we need supernatural power, not willpower. We have an enemy who tempts us, but also tell me we don't live in a culture. Tell me that we don't live in a society that is just, there's temptation at every turn. To resist, you will need to draw near to God. You see, what we need is a revival of resistance because uh, church people, character matters to God. Purity matters to God. And it's time to, to reclaim that and say, the first step is, I will resist. I will, re I will make a decision. My character matters to God. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, take every, take every thought captive and make it obedience to Christ because this is often right here where, where the temptation starts. Temptation, by the way, is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Take those temptations captive and refuse to indulge them. That verse right there has been an important one for me. As, I, as, as thoughts come in, taking them captive, visualizing that. that, that verse has been helpful. And I want to remind you of something. How did Jesus fight temptation in his life? He, he was out in the desert. The enemy came to him and tempted him three times. Do you know what he did? He quoted the Bible. He had memorized Bible verses. You see, we think the Bible verses are kind of sweet or nice and they're, we underline them. I, I, that's a nugget I need for the day. You find yourself some verses to go to war with. Find a verse that doesn't just make you feel good today. Find a verse that you can take with you because that Bible verse, that sentence in your head becomes a sword in your hand when you're facing temptation. Arm yourself with what you need to stand firm. Jesus, all-powerful, did that very thing as he pulled out God's truth, God's word to fight temptation. First thing you do is you resist it. Well, second thing we do, you own it. Own your sin. Own it in your heart and call it what it is. In the places that you have already failed or crossed the line, own it. Don't blame someone else. Oh, but they did this to me, so I'm kind of off the hook. I justify. Own your sin. Own 100% of your part of it. You chose it. And when you own it, guess what you can do? You can also own where you're tempted. I have something ground, get your pens out. I have something groundbreaking I want to tell you. I have found the best way to avoid ice cream is to not go into ice cream shops. <laughs> Amen? Know your danger zones. 
and stay away from them as best you can. Joseph did that as best he could. He stayed away. Many of us walk into life's ice cream shops and we were all surprised when we walked out with a cone in our hand. How did that happen? I was trying to avoid sexual sin and I made plans to go be alone with someone. Ah, whoa, how did the ice cream get in my hand? Like we need to know our place is a weakness. Know where you're, you can be tempted and avoid it as much as you can. Do you want to avoid sexual sinkholes? Don't be alone together. Avoid internet sinkholes? Don't be alone when you're low. In a, get accountability programs. Get accountability partners. Want to avoid envy? Unfollow anybody who makes you envious. Like just avoid it. You want to avoid the desire to murder somebody? Don't drive 82 during rush hour. I mean, we know these things. <laughs> know where you're weak. Know where you're vulnerable. Know when you're vulnerable. And own it. Resist it. Own it. Number three, confess it. Where you've crossed, where you've failed. Confess it to the God who sent his son Jesus to give you grace to cover your guilt and your sin. And I would take it one step further if you're ready to get out of sin and temptation. Confess it to somebody else. James 5.16, Jesus' brother, so blunt, so he just says this, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so you may be healed. And I believe we need some healing in our private lives. Where do you need to confess? Where do you need somebody praying for you in those areas? Where do you need to be praying for some other accountability person? Where do you need healing in your life? If you're serious about stopping some sin, tell somebody. Confess to them where you're struggling. Ask for help if need be. It is often our pride that keeps us from getting help and therefore it's often our pride that is hurting us the most. Where you failed, confess it. At the end of the sermon, in the service when we take communion and we have this little thing here that's the symbol of something powerful, the, the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood before you partake of the symbols of grace and sacrifice, use that moment to confess and own your stuff. Resist it, own it, confess it, and finally walk it. What does that mean? Well, Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. It's good to know that there's a, to know that you have a sinful nature that craves things that are contrary to God's way. Walk in the spirit so you will not gratify those sinful natures. Do you know why your daily relationship with God is so important? Why knowing his word and, and knowing his promises? It's because, it's because in that relationship, in walking with the Spirit, when you, you can't walk with the Spirit if you're not walking and keep, keeping track, letting Him guide you. Walking with the Spirit is an intentional, intentional thing. Knowing God, reading His Word, finding His truth, aligning with His truth, praying, listening, getting accountability, having a small group, all the things that God said, this is what Christian, this is, this is what following me is. That moment by moment, we would be hearing from his spirit unprompted and nudged on where to go, when to fight, when to flee, following the conviction of the spirit because God's spirit wants to lead you on paths of righteousness and as we keep in step with the spirit and we walk in the spirit, he guides us through temptation. So when it comes to the temptation and sin, we, we resist it knowing that our character matters to God. We own it 
where you sin, don't excuse it. Own it and know where you're weak. We confess it. Confess it to God and to somebody else if you can. And we walk it. We draw near to God and walk in step with his spirit. In Joseph's story, you may find that you're in a season of working for Potiphar. I don't know how, how your story in, jo- in Joseph's intersects, but you, you may say the pit week last week wasn't for me, but this week's mine. I'm working for Potiphar in my life. I, I'm working, and this is not what I planned. This is not what I dreamed. You have dreams behind you and doing something, just living the best you can to eke out some happiness where you are. Look to Joseph. He didn't work for his boss. He worked for God. He held on to his faith. He held on to his character. And he shared his faith with those around him. You are deployed where you are for a reason, for a season. And you might not ever be there again in the future, but for now, you're deployed so that you can work for God, have good character, hold on to your faith, and illuminate Jesus so others can know him. And like Joseph, you can resist the urge to cave your character in the face of temptation. Because here's what's true. What's true for Joseph is what's true for you. You won't be in Potiphar's house forever. But God's building something in you in Potiphar's house. He's building something in you. I mean, you think this is breaking you? This is breaking things off of you. You think this is breaking you? This is building you for what is next in your life. You won't be in Potiphar's house forever, but you need this season for what's next. Man, we just want to get out of painful seasons so fast and so bad. But what God wants is to get something in us during these seasons for what's next. So if you're in a season of Potiphar's house, know that God is with me. I'm going to hang on to my faith. I'm not going to cave my character. And I'm going to illuminate Jesus in this season to these people where I am deployed. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for Joseph and his life and his example. And I pray in, his, in the name of Jesus that as we go into communion, that your spirit would, would be very um, clear and very tender. Because Father, there are those of the, in here today or listening who, who are defined by their sin and their shame and their guilt. And may your spirit remind us that in Jesus, we are defined by his sacrifice, not our sin. And we are defined by his good work, not our bad work. I pray, Father, you give us the courage in this moment to own our sin and confess our sin and walk on with you. In Jesus' name.